Hello, everybody. Good evening. This is your host, Kwame Sarfamensa, back with another episode of I Day Talk for Educators Live. If you are a first time viewer, welcome to the show. And I hope that you enjoy tonight's episode. We have a phenomenal brother who is an educator in the Twin Cities area of Minnesota, and he is an instructional coach in the St. Paul Public Schools District in Minnesota. And he's just doing phenomenal things in the areas of philanthropy and also uplifting our black male educators across the nation and beyond. So we're gonna go into a conversation uh, with our guest, Jonathan C.W. Jones, uh, regarding the state of black male educators in the nation, but also ways in which we can address the inequities that exist within our public school systems that have a negative impact on our students and educators of color. So without further ado, I'd love to welcome Jonathan C.W. Jones to the show. Welcome, sir. Good evening. Gene, how are you doing? Not too bad. How are you doing, Kwame? Doing well. Uh, just trying to stay safe and stay productive with my family and do what we can do to survive. And we're just going to continue to take this one day at a time. Yes, sir. All right. So uh, before we get into the meat of our conversation, I want to give you an opportunity to just share a little bit about yourself, your upbringing, and how you got into the world of education. First, thank you for inviting me to your show. I've been in the field of education for probably about 26 years. Fresh out of high school, I got the opportunity back in 1993, got the opportunity to work for a man by the name of uh, Dwayne Duturel. He ran a program called the African American Mentorship Program for St. Paul Public Schools. And he created this program to pair up young African-Americans with students in elementary schools. So I had the opportunity to work with a group of third, fourth, and fifth grade African-American students, academics, and their attendants. I had no idea that I was going to walk into the field of education because coming out of high school, I had no idea. I had no plans attending college. To be quite honest, to be quite frank, I didn't honestly believe I was smart enough for college. Wow. Um, so uh, we might get into that a little bit too as well. Um, so mm -hmm. that was my first experience um, that kind of ushered me into the field and my first realization like, oh, this is not bad. This is kind of this is kind of fun. And there's a lot of connections that I made with the students that I got to work with. A few years later, had the opportunity to work as an educational assistant for a few years, built, built up my confidence a little bit. And then I thought, okay, maybe I can do this teaching thing. And so then I jumped on a plane, went down to New Orleans and attended the best HBCU college, Xavier University of Louisiana. Was there for four years, got a degree in special education. And my time there was also instrumental because I met some really influential people and mentors who kind of shaped me and molded me and said, okay, wait a minute, especially my first year, they're like, you need to be a little bit more focused seemed a little distracted. So I had some really, really strong mentors I still have in my life today. They pushed me to think about graduate school, applied for a program um, where I did summer research at Penn State University. And that research led to an invitation to, to go to grad school. And my mentor was like, go now. Don't stop. Keep going. Get your master's. So I was like, okay, because I really just wanted to get back home and get my own classroom. That's what I was really driving for is that have my own classroom of students. So yeah. I I went ahead anyways and uh, went to Penn State, got my master's in special education with a focus on augmentative alternative communication devices or AAC devices that help individuals with special needs have, who have limited communication abilities. After that, been in the field of special education for several years here in Minnesota. 
and currently been was in the, in the classroom teaching both from federal setting one all the way through federal setting four programs. And we, we can get into definitions about those because I don't know if all the viewers know what that means. But right. so, <laughs> but yeah, so it's just a range of students who are getting special ed services. So that's basically what it means. So now currently I'm an instructional coach where I support several buildings and their special ed teams. I come in, we have conversations about where they're at with their lesson planning, with their classroom management, with their behavior approaches. And they tell me what they want to work on. And then I give them reflective type questioning and supporting them in reaching their goals. Oh, absolutely. And anybody who's in the world of education knows that we live in a world of acronyms and abbreviations. That's pretty normal in our work. But let's talk about What's happening in St. Paul's public schools? So how has your school district fared uh, during this pandemic? Well, I'd say I'd be very honest. I I try to lean towards the positive, but we have definitely faced some challenges. Initially, the first couple of weeks where we rolled out distance learning, it was really a challenge. And part of the biggest challenge that I witnessed with the schools that I supported was teachers were having a hard time connecting with families via email, via Google Meet. They were just having a hard time connecting with them, utilizing the technology. That was the first hurdle. The second hurdle was after connecting with some of those families and the kids is finding out some of our kids have a range of abilities with being able to navigate the different platforms. So you have you have platforms like Seesaw, you have Zoom, you have uh, you know Google Meet. There's so, so many of them. There's so many of them. And to be quite honest, as an adult, First looking in, and as a coach, I tell my my team, that stuff overwhelms me. So I'm going to make the assumption that it overwhelms me. It's probably overwhelming our kids and our parents. So the first job is let's connect with them and find out how are things going? How can we improve, you know, the presentation of lessons to your kids? Um, Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I mean, when you're bombarding families with all these different tools, which are helpful and do serve a purpose, especially during this time it can be overwhelming for them because they're already coming in feeling insecure about their use of technology and their ability to engage it. And now we're bombarding with all these tools. I can't imagine how high their anxiety level is um, at that point. And I'd say on the flip side of that, even though we've had those challenges, the other end of it is that there's been a definite sense of a growth mindset that I've seen with the, the staff that I've worked with and that there's a willingness to like, okay, I'm nervous. I'm anxious about some of this new technology, but at the same time, it's almost like it feels like kind of like re-experiencing becoming a novice teacher that first year yeah. experience and like, oh man, can I, can I do this? I know mm-hmm. I can, but can I, can I really do this? And so it's kind of, it's kind of a good vibe, at least for me, because I'm seeing how, how the teachers are stretching themselves. So I just put myself in a position to try to support them as best as I can. Oh, Absolutely. So let's just shift gears to your experience just as a black male educator. Now, I know for me personally, I've had my ups and downs just having to wear that badge, which I do with honor and courage. But at the same time, it does have its set of challenges. So I want to just find out from you, what has that been like for you just being a black male educator in Minnesota? And what lessons have you learned along the way in your journey? So if I had to kind of summarize, a lot of my experience has kind of has a reoccurring theme of this this idea of that I can. And when I say I can, that means that I can do anything if I really focus my time um, and my focus on it. Um, but that's been up and down. 
that's, that's fluctuated that, that the belief in that I can do something that I am competent and it's easy. My experiences range from starting off as a novice teacher, forgetting as a novice teacher, I had a master's degree mm-hmm. and most of my colleagues didn't, but yeah. I'm also a black male. So my competency comes into question, you know, pretty quickly and trying to figure out how to best navigate that has, has been a challenge. Also going through that whole kind of ideal of tokenism and, and being in a building where I'm the only black only one. In, in the building. And at first that's like, all right, cool. I'm about to do this work. And I'm in there and you feel a little special that you're the only one or you're the first one. But then that wears off. It's like, wait a second. No, this, this is not okay. This is not okay. Our kids need to see more of us. There's more of me and individuals like me and realizing that kind of playing into that tokenism idea is that is the whole kind of, I, I am believing in that tokenism makes me susceptible to believing in the idea of racism. So I've gone from that to now more currently, you know, some of the lessons that I've learned is that kind of theme of I can, the biggest one being I can create that I can take ideas from my mind and make them a reality has been one of the biggest things that um, I hold on to and directly connects to the work that I'm doing in my business now. And our kids are not taught enough that they have the ability to take an idea from their mind and make it real and make it tangible. And then on top of that, maybe even make some money. <laughs> you know, you know, there's no focus around that within our educational system. Other, other learnings I've come across is that I have the ability to connect with my students. I have the ability to connect with my peers. And I have the ability to make a difference within the buildings that I work. And then that now I'm at the point where it's now, I now believe that I can. There's going to be some challenges. I'm not going to be perfect and mm-hmm. not necessarily striving to be, but I can get through obstacles. I can get through challenges. And on top of that, I can help my peers do the same thing. And then I can also remind them it's our job to connect with our students. It's our job to help them understand that they can get through these obstacles. They can get to the things that, that are presenting a problem in their life within school and with outside of school. Oh, man, for sure. But you touched on something. And this this idea of innovation and creating content. And I think that's something that's been a blessing during this pandemic is just the fact that we've seen so many teachers step up to the plate and go the extra mile to engage their students in ways that are going to uplift them and take them to another level academically and socially. And one of your great ideas is Ideation 4, which is your brainchild. I guess you could say it's your third child. <laughs> yes. you, you put so much time and investment in it. So I want you to take this time to just share a little bit about Ideation 4, yeah. how that was formed, and what is the inspiration behind it? So the inspiration behind that is my wife. My wife is also an entrepreneur and several years back, she knew I, I have come in, I came into the field knowing that there was a lack of resources in typically in schools. I came into the field knowing that teachers spend a significant amount of money on a yearly basis on out-of-pocket expenses. So when I came into the field, I started learning, I decided I was going to learn about fundraising. I was going to learn about grant writing because I wanted to make sure that any building I walked into I could get the resources that my students need. Mm-hmm. That's how it first started. Then it went from that to me thinking about, okay, now that I got my resources, how can I improve 
my lessons? How can I make more engaging lessons, more meaningful things, more project-based activities for my students that's going to benefit them more than just a grade? So over the years, developed several different ideas and received several different awards, went from grant writing to then grant reviewing, and then um, more recently getting the opportunity to actually be on a team that actually did some grant making, which was really impactful. And after that experience, I decided I was like, okay, I want to be able to do the rent, the whole spectrum. I don't want to just do grant writing because I'm going to be very, very upfront and honest. I typically do not do grant writing for individuals. I will do grant writing instruction and teach them. And my rationale behind that is, is simply this, is that you individuals who are looking for grants have a better understanding of their idea and their mission and their purpose than I do. Absolutely. And they need to understand it is that understanding of their own idea and their own mission. And that's the first step in even securing any kind of resources. If you don't have that, you're not going to secure anything because that has to be articulated in any grant application. That's what helps you stand out is that this is my why. I'm doing this because of this. This is my why. So I moved into then doing grant workshops and professional development for some of my peers. And after I did that, my wife was like, you need to do this. You need to do this for the community. There you go. And so I started doing grant work, grant writing one-on-one and grant writing uh, essentials workshops in the community. And most of the uh, individuals that came and still come are educators. Now that there's a little bit of connect as well with nonprofit organizations as well. So my work kind of overlaps with the two sectors. But my heart is with educators and helping them understand how they can take their innovative classroom ideas and connect those ideas to resources and make those ideas real in their classroom and meaningful for their students. And I think that's so important because we see so many teachers overextend themselves and they're writing these, I wouldn't call them grants, but they're writing proposals for these different nonprofits like uh, donors choose or GoFundMe. They're writing these different things, these different proposals just to get money to have access to resources for their children without realizing that there are other sources right. you can go to yep. to get that same type of uh, money. But we don't have the knowledge about that. So I'm glad that there is an organization like Ideation4 that focuses particularly on fundraising and grant making which actually leads me to my next question. And that is why those two components of fundraising and grant making? I have an idea of why, but I wanted to get your perspective on that. So I want to throw out a, a few little st- statistics um, to connect to that. On average, teachers spend well over $700 annually on out-of-pocket expenses for their classroom out of their own pocket. Yep. And that's not even to mention the fact that, you know, Taxes, teachers can write off, I believe it's $250 a year, but yet on the flip side, they spend on average $700 a year to meet basic classroom needs, post Mm -hmm. markers, all those things. We're not talking about the teacher, and these are the same teachers that also have innovative ideas that they want to implement, but like you were saying, to your point, they don't know about some of the community-based resources outside of Adopt-A-Classroom, um, crowd doing doing some crowdfunding or donors choose. So there's more resources out there. But I recognize the fact that teachers don't always have the time to actually locate those things, nor do they have the time necessarily to write out their narrative. However, I will argue that I've part of the reason why I created Ideation 4 was to help alleviate some of that, help them to come to workshops and be able to find out, oh, 
grant writing is not as challenging as I thought it may have been. Because that's another thing is that because coming into the field, there's no PD, there's no PD for teachers in general for for crowdfunding and grant writing. No, you don't get any kind of training like that whatsoever. I, at least I have not heard of yet of a school that focuses their attentions on those aspects. But yet when they come into a school, nine times out of ten, that's going to be an issue is that they don't have basic some of the basic needs they need. So they're going to have to do some fundraisers and work with the PTA. So those pieces. So that's one of the reasons why I started because I was a little bit more passionate about it than I realized. My wife is like, mm, one, you're good at it. Two, you, you're a good teacher. Three, you're passionate about it. And it was her that pointed out, I was like, I didn't realize how passionate about it I was. Now, let me ask you this, because I've heard some stories about school districts discouraging teachers from going to outside organizations to get money because they want to try to streamline that process and keep it uh, within house, if you will. So my question is, how has the school district been in terms of their reception to Ideation 4? I say I can say from my school district, my school district has been very receptive. Last year, we actually did a webinar together, a couple mm -hmm. of webinars that we offered for teachers, letting them know because Here's the thing is that some even some school districts don't some school districts have a may have a grant office and they may have three or four people in their district that those three or four people are responsible for pulling in grants on a district level. Mm -hmm. And they some districts may actually have their own foundations, separate foundations that teachers can go after funds, you know, for their practice that they're doing. But a lot, a lot, again, a lot of times, you know, when you do onboarding, th that information is not shared all the time. So my district has been real receptive last year. Like I said, we did a webinar that I talked about the resources and the steps and procedures for our particular district when they go, when teachers want to go after grants, like we have a partnership with Ecolab and Ecolab has these specific grants for St. Paul public school teachers. And so St. Paul Public Schools has some specific procedures that they need to, that teachers need to follow. And that's where I kind of come in, you know, come to my workshop. I can outline and give you some templates to prepare you to apply for those particular work, those particular grants. I'm not sure. That's one of the things I hope to learn more in the, in the years to come is how do other districts approach this? How do other districts approach going after grants for their district and how do they approach any, any, professional development, if there is any, you know, uh, crowdfunding or fundraising or grant writing for teachers. No, and I think that's essential. We need more professional development around those areas because a lot of teachers get discouraged from even trying because they just don't know. And as you've mentioned, they don't have the time because they're inundated with instructional responsibilities. They're inundated with lesson planning, calling parents to update them on their child's progress. There are so many things that we have to do as teachers in order to keep the ball rolling that sometimes certain aspects get overlooked or they get lowered in the priority list. And unfortunately, writing grants is one of them, even though we understand that it is something that can be very helpful in obtaining the resources we need to enhance learning in our classrooms. I'll share also one of the things that some educators don't know. I know here in, in Minnesota, we have a union. And our union has their own foundation that mm. we pay dues into. And I would say a good 50% of teachers don't know that they can go after grants, go after the money that they're putting into this foundation. And they're not even necessarily aware of that as an opportunity. 
So the question becomes, how do we get people to access that information? How do we get people to know what is available to them? I mean, that's what I would wonder. Yep, that leads right into some of the work that I'm doing specifically with with the public publications that are coming out this fall. Yeah, let's talk about that. So I know you have two publications coming out, um, Uplift and Connect, but I do want to talk a little bit about Uplift and then we could share a little bit about Connect. So while you're talking, I'm gonna just put up um, the image for the website so people can see uh, what's on there. The idea behind Uplift. So like I said, I've been in the field of education for about 26 years. And as I'm sure a lot of the viewers may be aware, there was some research that came out last year. And one of the research pieces that, you know, within the field of education, there's about 2% of educators on average nationally are black male educators. And I would like to be part of a movement that focuses some attention on, okay, we know that black male educators are not only beneficial to our boys and our girls um, in the school, but we also know that our presence is also beneficial to, to everybody, to be quite honest. So the idea behind Uplift is I wanted to uh, kind of change some of the narrative around what is education. I just try to look at telling a new story and taking hold of the story, not waiting for someone else to recognize the good work that we are all doing across this country. I wanted to celebrate us visually. You know, growing up, uh, I was talking to my wife, I said, you know, growing up, I remember looking at Jet and Ebony, and I didn't realize how affirming that was until now. And our kids don't necessarily know anything about those things. And our and our students need to see themselves. And they need to see our, themselves in magazines, they need to see them, themselves in, in, you know, on the news, in positive lights, um, on TV, in the school districts, in the school systems. So I decided I wanted to create a, a magazine that had two purposes. One, to celebrate as many black male educators as I could on an annual basis, highlight the work they're doing, where they're located, um, and some of their biographical information, and also provide some resources on major organizations, like for example, uh, the Center for Black Male Educators Development and other leading individuals in, in research and, who are coming out with new publications, like for example, Dr. Tracy Benson, who has a book out called Unconscious Bias in the Schools. And I really wanted to find a platform that celebrated us and then take the proceeds from this platform and use that to develop our own fund, a fund to celebrate the work we're doing. So then we can then support ourselves financially in some of the, the projects we're doing in our schools. Oh man, that is incredible. And I understand that black male educators still have a chance to apply for this inaugural uh, issue. Yes, sir. So we just share some guidelines for those black male educators who are yes. interested in being featured. Yes, uh, what sir. What they need to do. All right. So what they need to do is they're going to visit my website, ideation4.com. And on the front page, you're actually right on the front page. Mm -hmm. You're going to go to apply for the legacy cohort. Now, just for... Uh, uh, just to be clear, this cohort, each cohort each year, we're going to have a specific named cohort. This this first inaugural issue is called Le the Legacy Cohort. And there will be a select group of black male educators who will be um, selected to be highlighted in the publication. And then those individuals will be notified and they will be let, we will let them know that they've been selected in the next coming in the next actually probably two weeks. 
they'll get a notification letting me know that, yes, you've been selected to be highlighted in the book. And then we'll, we'll run through because we are in production right now. The application closes this Friday and the, the application is online. So once you get online, you're going to click on the apply for legacy cohorts and go from there. Now, one of the pieces I will share is that at the end of the application, you'll be prompted to share a dapper full body photo because this is going to be an upscale publication. It's not going to be a magazine per se. There's not going to be articles in here. We may have some highlighted pieces in here for the various issue, but the focus is it's literally going to be a visual of a variety of black men who have been in the field teaching. Now, and also be clear, our focus is K-12 educators, but it's also open to higher ed as well. All right. And also understand that black men educators have an opportunity to advertise their businesses, but also sponsor the work you're doing. So if you could just share a little bit about how they can do that to um, support Ideation 4 and the work uh, you all are doing. Definitely. What the opportunities are is we're looking for sponsors to promote um, this publication. We're looking for authors, organizations, entrepreneurs, speakers, um, and individuals who just want to support the work that we're doing. Now, the information, you'll find that as well below. It will give you the additional details that we need from you. And I do want to be clear, applying to the cohort is free. And if you're accepted, then we'll let you know. So I just want to make that point as well. All right. So you all heard that. It is free. No charge at all. No charge. Be part. If you're selected to be part of the legacy cohort, there's no charge for this. What we're looking, but we are looking for individuals to support the work we're doing in the production of this of this material. And um, if I may add, and correct me if I'm wrong, we're not just saying classroom teachers. Correct. We're looking for paraprofessionals. Correct. Teacher assistants. Correct. Anybody who is within the realm of education in the K-12 world. That is correct. You if need you to apply because you also play an integral role in our kids' education. So we want to make sure we specify that. Thank you. Yes. So I see that we're, we're starting to wind down. Uh, but before uh, we do so, I want to give you a chance to just share how people can connect with you on social media so they can continue to support uh, the work you're doing. So if you could just share uh, your information for folks. Yes, sir. So you can find us again. Our website is ideation4.com and our Facebook page is ideation4. Um, and you'll be prompted. It is actually a group. Um, so you'll be prompted to join the group. Um, and then we'll go from there. And then also my Twitter is ideation4 underscore SJC. And you can reach us there. All right. Thank you so much, Jonathan, for joining us today. It's been a great conversation. And please, people, I know Teacher Appreciation Week already passed by. But guess what? Let's make it a Teacher Appreciation Month. Let's support Jonathan and the work he's doing because we need to support each other, especially our Black male educators who are doing transformative things in the community. So um, once again, sir, I thank you so much for being on the show. And I just wish you much success uh, with the creation of the publication and all the initiatives you're doing. Thank you. Thank you. Likewise. And before I get off, I definitely want to know, we got to talk offline. I want to know how I can get signed, how I can purchase signed copies of your two books. Oh man, you know what? I'm about to just let the viewers know right now. <laughs> um, so for those who would like to get signed copies of both my books, oh, yeah. From an Action to an Action, which is the newest version of The Family, 
and Shape the Teach Identity. I am currently doing a quarantine sale, which is two for 25. So you can get both these books for $25. I will autograph them for you and mail them to you personally during this time because I know a lot of us have been trapped in our homes for a while and we need some material to read, just good content to keep our brain stimulated. So if you would like to get a copy or even both copies um, of my books, you can just leave your name in the comments section or you can visit my website at identitytalkforeducators.com or you can email me at Kwame Sarfo Mensa at gmail.com. And I'll be sure to share that information in the comments section for, for people to access. And also, let's just continue to support each other because there are so many people who are doing some great things in the community, people who are writing books, people who are writing articles, creating apps, starting nonprofit organizations like Jonathan. But we don't always get the support we need from our own people. So Let's make that a habit. In order for us to move forward, let's build off of each other. Let's support one another. So, Jonathan, thank you. Thank you again. So, yeah, let's continue to support one another because that's how we're going to challenge the status quo. That's how we're going to move forward as one, as a society. So I hope you all have enjoyed tonight's episode of Identity Talk for Educators Live. If you would like to be a guest on the show, or if you know somebody who is interested in being a guest on the show, make sure to email me at identitytalkforeducators at gmail.com. We're always looking for people who are doing great work in the community, whether you are a classroom teacher, whether you are an activist, whether you are a parent, a child advocate, a basketball coach, whatever you do in the community, we want to make sure that we highlight your story and the work you're doing on this platform. This is for you all. This is the show for the unsung heroes of education. So if you fit that description, I want to talk to you. And I want to make sure that the whole world knows what you're doing. So please reach out to me if you'd like to be featured in a future episode of the show. But until then, everybody, this is your host, Kwame Sarfamenta. So I wish you a good night, good morning, good afternoon, wherever you are in the world. And we're going to do this again another time. Stay safe, people.